1: Hi, I'm Fiona Davison, speaking to you from my home in North London. Today, we're travelling to gardens all over the UK, and even the world. From a green space inspired by a Zimbabwean classroom...
2: We had lemons and limes, peanuts, moringa, which is the miracle tree. Lots of plants that were typically grown as food, but also quite beautiful. ...to
3: one garden
1: designer's backyard.
3: Now the hawthorn tree is delightful. It's just a delight in the early spring. And in the autumn, you usually get
1: some color on the leaf and you get red berries as well. And finally to
4: Chelsea, the home of our flagship flower show. Something to inspire everyone, even if you've just got a little windowsill to a little patch that you want to brighten up, we've got some great ideas that you can be getting on with in your garden in May. Welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast, the home of trusted gardening
1: advice, horticultural happenings and passionate plants people. Last year, designer Gelaine Rickards transported RHS Chelsea Flower Show visitors to Southern Africa. While often known for its diverse wildlife and dramatic landscapes, she wanted to put Zimbabwe's flora centre stage.
2: The garden was a small slice of Zimbabwe put into central London. And I really wanted to bring the vibrancy and the positivity of that area into Chelsea. So we grew okra, taro, turmeric, papaya, guava. We had a hugely beautiful mature orange tree, which is just beautiful as the focal point. So the garden was called Giving Girls in Africa a Space to Grow, and it was for a charity called CAMFED, which is the Campaign for Female Education, which I'm very passionate about. They support vulnerable girls in sub-Saharan Africa and keep them help to keep them in education. We used um, real-life stories to demonstrate Campho's work within the garden. So I went to Zimbabwe and I visited a school there. And I visited very many actually hugely influential and, and inspirational people. But I focused on one lady called Beauty Gombana.
5: Growing up with my mother and father, I would always come across agriculture and planting. I ended up having a passion for planting and horticulture. Our father worked and our mother was a subsistence farmer. She was able to sustain us as a family. But challenges arose when my mother passed away. My mother died when I was nine years old. Then my father passed away when I was 14 years old. We were then a child headed family. We were now taking care of each other. I did not write my, my final exams due to financial constraints. There was no one who could help me pay my fees. I had to drop out of school.
2: She had been supported by CAMFED and finished her education. And from there, she had set up her own farming business and she had got
6: herself out of poverty and she would lifted her family out of poverty.
5: I learned about climate smart agriculture and drip irrigation system. Then I learned to grow fortified beans that are rich in iron and zinc. They help us feed the community at large. I also grow orange maize which is fortified like the beans. Now I am able to employ other people in the community. I can now support other students at school because of the profit that comes from my business. Apart from my business, I want to be a role model in my community. I want to inspire and motivate
6: others.
2: A really positive outcome from one girl being put through education. So, I wanted to focus on her story. So, I think the first thing that people come across when they see the garden will be the, um, the classroom because I elevated it up and made it very obviously it was a classroom because of the blackboard. As soon as people see the blackboard, they could really identify this as a classroom setting. So it was sitting higher up from the rest of the planting. The planting then came down towards the viewer and it was also enclosed by some very vibrant blue walls. And the planting was really where we incorporated beauty's story by using the plants that we were very lucky to have the Eden Project growing for us, which is in Cornwall, which has the sort of iconic biomes where they can showcase Mediterranean plants through to um, tropical plants. We had lemons and limes, peanuts, moringa, which is the miracle tree. Lots of plants that were grown as food, but also quite beautiful in Zimbabwe. And then, of course, we focused too on the biofortified crops that Beauty was growing on her farm, the peas, the zinc-enriched peas, the vitamin A-enriched maize and the vitamin A-enriched sweet potatoes. They were showcased as well. They just give you a better nutrition. So the zinc-enriched peas, they're good for pregnant women and they have an iron content as well. So nutritionally, they're just much better than just eating a normal pea. And we furthered beauty stories as well, as well by showcasing a solar panel which ran the solar pump and the irrigation system round the whole school area and planting section. I don't think that's been seen at Chelsea before and it looked really great. When the sun came out and it worked, then the pump sort of whizzed round. It looked great. When I was doing the garden, I just thought, okay, it's got to be for a worthwhile cause, which it was, and it has to have some longevity. Gone are the days when we can just rip these gardens out and throw them away. We just can't do that any longer. But then when you look at the plants that I have put in this garden, I thought, where on earth? (laughs) Where can we put it? Because it won't survive outside in the UK climate. And I come from Cornwall, and my friend who I worked on the garden with, Charlotte, we went to school together in Cornwall, and Charlotte said, well, how about the Eden Projects? And they were very happy to help take it as an exhibit in the Mediterranean biome, which it is there now, open to the public as and when the Eden Project reopens. And sitting there with CAMFES message, but actually just making people happy. I think people just look at this garden and feel happy. It's uplifting, it's bright, it's colourful, it's positive.
1: Gillian Rickards on her 2019 Chelsea Offering. We'll be heading back to the iconic show later in the programme as we unveil the unique 2020 plans. Collaborating and sharing knowledge is one thing as gardeners are very keen on. A day doesn't go by where I haven't learnt a tidbit of useful information. As the head of RHS Libraries, I get to see this in action on a bigger scale too. Last year we had over 80,000 visitors to our libraries and we support learners at every level with people inspired to look for new and colourful gardening books, right the way to our Masters of Horticulture, where people are writing dissertations and really doing in-depth research. And I really love to learn myself. Over the last few weeks, I've really enjoyed speaking to our horticultural advisors about various gardening issues, and it seems like our listeners feel the same way too. And We've been barraged with thorny questions from across the country recently, especially as the sun comes out and the warmer weather approaches. So let's join our team to hear the answers.
7: Hi, I'm Lee Hunt, Principal Horticultural Advisor at the RHS. And today for the session, I'm joined by Jenny Bowden and Nikki Barker, both horticultural advisors with me in the team. And our first question comes from B. Duncan from London.
8: I've got a question about my variegated rubber plants, which I've had for about eight months. I have noticed that my plant's leaves have been drooping quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. I saw the leaves drooping and so I went and put it on a slightly more well-lit windowsill with a bit more light. And since doing that, the leaves are still drooping, but the top of the stem has become quite discoloured and quite squidgy as well to the touch so it would be great if somebody could tell me what to do to get it back to being healthy again.
7: Well
9: squidgy tops Nikki do you think she should be concerned about that? I, I always think that squidgy tops are something to be concerned about really it's probably why it isn't growing because the top bud is essentially dead or dying which could be caused by overall underwatering or a combination of the two?
8: If the person who left the message uh, were able to knock it out of its pot and investigate the roots, they may well find that there are quite a few soft roots and you can potentially clear those away and see if there's any white roots. White roots are good, that's what we need to see. If not, then perhaps replacement might be the best option, to be honest.
7: Our next inquiry comes from Barbara Brown via email and it's a nice short one. When do I prune penstemon? Often after the winter they're looking rather straggly and tall. Is it the right time now to prune them?
9: Perfect time to prune them now. We certainly had a bit of a frost here last night. I say frost, it went down to about freezing. The forecast now is for the nights to just get warmer and warmer so it's a really good time to cut down penstemons to all that new growth that they'll be producing towards the base of the plant and that stops them getting woody. They put on loads of lovely new green stems and they flower much better if you prune them hard at this time of year.
7: And we have another question. Hello there, my name is Ali Coxwell. I'm from Saffron Warden in
3: Essex. With the lockdown, I've attempted to take cuttings from my existing plants. Is there a general rule of thumb around taking cuttings, especially from woody stemmed
7: plants? With woody stemmed plants, is it the right time of year or are there better cuttings to take now?
9: It very much depends on the plant, doesn't it? But I think if your plants are still quite woody and only just producing new growth it isn't the right time of year to be taking cutting material there may be the type of plant like cornice buddleia even things like that that take really well from hardwood cuttings which you would tend to do in the winter we're kind of I suppose as a rule of thumb going into the period where you would be taking softwood cuttings but even that is going to be over the next few weeks rather than now as a very general rule of thumb. Thinking about these softwood
7: cuttings, as the time sounds like it's coming up for that, what should you look out for the ideal material and how do you take those cuttings?
9: The ideal material is usually you would be looking for something, again, it very much depends on the plant, but something that hasn't got a flower bud. If you are taking cuttings that do have flower buds on, then remove the flower bud because you're going to get a much higher percentage of cuttings that root if they're not putting all their energy into that flower. You want them to be reasonably pliable, um, generally between 5 and 10 centimetres long, depending, again, on the shrub that you're taking the cuttings from. Take the cutting just below a bud, just below a node, then take the bottom leaves off, especially with things like hebees, things like that, because otherwise they start to rot in the compost. And you want to insert probably about a third of the cutting into the compost.
8: And I think the other good point is to take lots of cuttings. Quite often people just take two or three and there's always going to be a failure rate. So you've got to cover it by taking lots and lots of cuttings.
7: We have a question from Alex from Salford how to improve soil when it's hard to get hold of new compost or blood, fish and bone at the moment. Will it work to work into the soil some banana peel or grass cuttings, or will that be too little too late? Well, first thing to say is, of course, thankfully, um, garden centres are beginning to open, so it will be getting easier to get hold of some of the things that we rely on. But um, obviously, Alex is describing using things that we do have to hand to improve the soil and that sounds like a good idea but is it something we can get on and do now?
8: Well it's an interesting idea just to put the compost directly into the soil before it's actually compost but it is better really to heap it up and make a compost heap and let it rot down altogether because you really don't want to be taking nitrogen out of the soil from the plants that you're hoping to give nutrition to. I mean, there's two issues here. You've talked about banana skins and lawn clippings, which are fantastic for your compost heap. And you've also talked about fish blood and bone meal, which is another way of giving nutrition to your plants. That's fine. But That doesn't give any structure to the soil. That's directly feeding the plants themselves. So it's two different things. But really, you need to be making a compost heap that if you don't have compost available you can't immediately get compost the quickest way of making compost is to get one of these hot bins and you can have good compost in a couple of months but there isn't an immediate you can't just put raw ingredients onto your garden and have the effects happen unfortunately but enjoy going back to the garden centres to get your well-rotted stable manure (laughs) that's coming it's coming
1: If you'd like to have our experts puzzle through your plant-based problems, it's very easy to do. You just ask a question using a voice recording app on your phone and email it to us to podcast at rhs.org.uk. Here on the podcast, we love to hear from gardeners about the plants that they adore and we've heard stories from all sorts from people passionate about carnivorous plants to dahlia obsessives. And that's a thing I enjoy about gardening, it's just so personal. For our next guest, her love affair with one special plant started when she was a girl. My name is Sarah Eberly. I'm a landscape
3: architect and garden designer. And the plant that I love is the hawthorn tree. The hawthorn tree is delightful. It's a small tree, so it's really easy for small gardens or you, know, you can make a hedge out of it. So because it's small, we can really engage with it. You know, It's not like miles up in the air. I first started a relationship with this plant when I grew up in the countryside. And the whole reason I became a landscape architect and a garden designer is because the countryside was our playground. And I used to love going up the lanes and playing in the woods. You know, I was lucky. I was kind of a free-for-all child, kicked out the door in the morning and back in time for tea and the supper. And, and this tree just fascinated me, really, from fighting it, trying to get through a hedge when it used to bite you with its thorns, to seeing in the spring how it would just burst its leaf and from then on it's always been that thing I notice, it's always for me that signal, that signpost that hey, spring and summer is on its way it's got these wonderful bright green filigree leaves that come out in the early spring, followed by a pure white blossom but behind all that are these huge thorns so it's bit of a dichotomy there between how it looks and actually how it talks to you when you grab hold of it. It really is quite a sharp plant. It's just a delight in the early spring. And in the autumn, you usually get some color on the leaf and you get red berries as well so you've got something for all seasons in the winter you just see the architecture of the plant and it can twist itself into just lovely forms it's elegant it's delicate but it's got some real impact the flowers are very simple very very pure white very simple quite small so the leaves are very small as well and very filigree so it's Elegant, you know everything seems to be in proportion. I'm very fortunate to live on a farm and we do have some lovely hawthorns here and there's one on the edge of the drive as you drive up which are particularly elegant and gorgeous. This year in particular you know we're all stuck in the home. When you go out, everything that you see that is now coming into flower and coming into leaf is going to be that more special. It helps you look forward. It helps you to remain positive. It helps you to understand that life will go on and this will end. And so for those of you who come across one on your walks, you're really going to you know, really notice it. There are other varieties. There's a rosier, which has a, a pale pink flower, which is very, very pretty. And there's a pool scarlet, which is a much darker, rich pink, which we see maybe in towns a little bit more. So keep your eye open, they are
1: delightful. Sarah is one of many in the horticultural world that's usually very busy at this time of year. Every year in May, the green-fingered grapes descend into southwest London to show off the best of gardening. Of course, I'm talking about the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. This year's a little different, for obvious reasons. Although despite being unable to physically visit show gardens in the normal way, there really are other ways we can still be inspired to create magical garden spaces. So we're taking the show online, hosting a virtual edition that'll showcase the best of the event, including top advice from leading garden designers, exclusive tours into celebrities' gardens, and exhibitions on the history of Chelsea Flower Show. Catherine Putsides is the show manager and she's been very busy putting together this year's online extravaganza.
4: So this is the first time the Chelsea Flower Show hasn't taken place since 1946. So we really felt that in this age where we have such great ability to access information online, we thought it would be a great idea to pull together some inspirational stories for everyone to enjoy during the Chelsea week and to learn about gardening and plants. We've got fantastic designers, florists, some of our nursery people, growers from around the UK who have put together some fantastic and informational videos to hopefully teach you a little bit about plants and gardening. Something to inspire everyone, even if you've just got a little windowsill to a little patch that you want to brighten up. We've got some great ideas that you can be getting on with in your garden in May. The days will feature tours of famous designers' gardens, famous gardeners' gardens. It will also include a Q&A session. We've got some of our fantastic RHS advisors who are going to be answering your questions on a daily basis every day next week. And they've got some very special guests also lined up during the week, some favourites that you might have seen at Chelsea over the years. And we've also got some fantastic tips on what you can do as a family or with your kids in the garden throughout the week to enjoy. We've got planting demonstrations, we've got floristry demonstrations, so we've got plenty to inspire and hopefully some good ideas that you can pick up for your own garden next week. We're really looking forward to welcoming you to the show next week. I'll be presenting this podcast where we've got some fantastic interviews some history of the show, more about our fantastic Plants of the Decade competition and lots more besides. There's going to be some really exciting news and updates from us all. So make sure to listen next week for more about Virtual Chelsea 2020.
1: The Virtual Chelsea Flower Show runs from the 18th to the 23rd of May. Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash virtual Chelsea and go and have an explore. And if you're an RHS member, you'll be able to access special content before everyone else on the first day of the show. Just make sure that you've linked your membership to your My RHS online account. Just search My RHS for details. So what's your favourite Chelsea memory? Mine's an odd one. In the twenty thirteen Chelsea Flower Show, which was the centenary, I was putting on an exhibition in the Great Pavilion when I got the message that the Queen was coming and she was supposed to be presented with a book that we produced on the History of the Chelsea Flower Show with lots of lovely images from our collections, except the book wasn't there. And I had to run around and get to the point where she was going to be presented with the book, with one of the books from the bookshop and then had to leg it running behind gardens and dodging between bushes to beat the Queen and she can really move and so I was completely out of breath by the time I I got round there and hid in a bush and had to stick the book out to the President at the time to present the book so possibly all the Queen saw of me was an arm coming out of a bush with a book in my hand so that's my top Chelsea memory I'm sure you've got more dignified Chelsea memories than that but make sure to listen to next week's jam-packed Chelsea special with Catherine. For more details on everything we've talked about today, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. I'll be back in a few weeks' time, but until then, it's goodbye from me, Fiona Davison.